running um, because of time. And so if you would, we're just going to pray real quick and then we'll jump into the word. Father God, we just thank you for what you've already done tonight, God, and what you will continue to do. Father God, we just pray that your presence would be with us tonight, God, as we go into your word, Father, that it would be your words that speak to us, that it would be your words that comfort us, and it would be your words that admonish us, God. Father, we give you all the praise tonight, Father. Be with us. In your son's name we pray. Amen. You know, as I was uh, preparing the message for tonight, it's a continuation. We've been doing a five-week series. Pastor Sam's been leading it, The Purpose Driven Life. An amazing book by Rick Warren, uh, really changed lives. But as I was preparing for the series tonight, I was, I was reminded of something that one of these public speaking professors had told me a long time ago. He said, people only really remember your first words and your last words. So that's all that matters. He said, everything else in between, eh, statistics say they won't remember it. Now, I don't think that's entirely true. I kind of feel like depending on what you're telling people, for instance, if I said Ryan and Virgilio are going to be duking it out in the parking lot, y'all might want to see that. Maybe somebody's going to come up afterwards and uh, say, hey, where's the popcorn? But it's actually a very interesting concept when we apply it to the, the gospel of Jesus Christ and to the life of Jesus Christ. When we look at the first words of our Savior and then we look at the last words of our Savior, we find something um, remarkable and very deep. So that's where I want to start tonight. Um, if you don't have your Bibles, we'll throw it up on the screen. But we're going to start in Luke 2.48. Now the story I love for a lot of reasons. I love, first of all, because it's the, you know, the first words of Jesus Christ. But I love it secondly because of the mom influence. Because it reminds me a lot of my mom. And it reminds me of how my mom would react in this situation. So Jesus is about 12 years old. They've just had the Passover feast. And now they're three days removed. They're headed back to Jerusalem. And they realize we don't have Jesus. He, he's not here with us. I, I always find that funny because how can you lose Jesus Christ? It's kind of a big deal, right? I mean... I don't know about you, but Parenting Skills 101 says I probably want to hold on to this one. Um, But anyway, so we pick it up. His parents come back and they find him, and this is what transpires. When his parents saw him, they were astonished. His mother said to him, son, why have you treated us like this? So like a mom. Your father and I have been anxiously searching for you. And he replies with this, "Why why were you looking for me? Didn't you know I must be about my father's business? It's so deep. He's 12 years old, but he has the insight and the foreknowledge to say, I must be about my father's business. And it gets even better. If we look at his final words when he's dying on the cross, when he's dying for you and he's dying for me, he says this in John 19, verse 30. He says, when he had received the drink, Jesus says, it is finished. With that, he bowed his head and gave up the spirit. I love that. I must be about my father's business and it is finished. That's so t- directly to the point of the gospel and so directly to the nature of Jesus Christ. And so tonight, that's where our focus is going to be. It's the first words of this book. For those of you that's been here with us in the series, it's not about you. It's not about me. I don't think that's entirely true, but it is entirely wise. Because salvation, that's exactly about you. It's about me. It's about everybody here. See, we had to be called out of darkness into his marvelous light. But after that, everything else, it's not about us. It's about the Father. And we have to be about the Father's business. So we're going to pick it up from there. I love what what Jesus says in John 21, 20, 21. He says, as the Father has sent me, I'm sending you. You know, sometimes we can become so distracted by our circumstances. We can become so consumed by life. We can become just overwhelmed that we really do. We lose focus. We lose focus of what the purpose of Jesus Christ is. and, And really, we lose focus of the continuation of the gospel. 
and it's, we demonstrate that all the time. We demonstrate that in our prayers. You know, we pray these prayers. God, I'm so hurt right now. My family's so broken right now. I need your help. I need your help financially. I need your help spiritually. I don't feel on fire. I need this. I need that. And there's nothing wrong with those prayers. In fact, I, I say you should pray them even more. You know, Paul teaches that. He says, be anxious for nothing, but pray about everything. But the prayers that we don't hear enough is this. God, how can I fit into your will? God, where would you want me right now? What is your heart? So I don't say don't pray about the small things, but I think we should also pray about the big things, and we should see where we fit in that picture. In Ephesians 2.10, it says this. It says, For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. See, our mission is just that. That is the Great Commission. It's just a continuation of Jesus Christ's mission. We're to reflect that daily. We're to reflect that in our lives, at school, at work. It doesn't matter. And, you know, we see nowadays, we see so many people that aren't satisfied. You know, we, we hear the, the stories of Whitney Houston, Michael Jackson, Britney Spears. It doesn't matter. They're all the same. People that have a lot but still find their, their life unsatisfied. And so my, my answer to that is this, that we have something innately in us that longs for the eternal, that longs for something supernatural. Because we have these innate callings on us, something deeper. See, we were created by a supernatural being. Now, we're not supernatural. We're not glorified, not yet. But we have this eternal calling, eternal giftings. And if we don't feed that, then we'll never be satisfied. I, I love my, my favorite movies, Troy. Has anybody, I know Ryan's seen it. Anybody? Yeah, it's a great movie. It's about Achilles. If you haven't seen the movie, me and Ryan usually do two or three reenactments a night. Um, tips are, are wanted, but uh, no, I'm just kidding. But I, I love the premise of this movie. The way it starts out is they have this panoramic, panoramic view, and they're zooming in, and you see these two great armies, one on one side, one on the other, and right in the middle are these two generals. And now, the opposing general and the, the main general of the movie are trying to figure out, what do we do from here? How are we going to settle this battle? He says, I know, we'll just go mano a mano. Your best man, my best man. David, Goliath, let's do it. I love it. I'm going to raise my voice a second. But this one general, he calls out his guy. He says, Belagrius! And out comes this monstrous man. Virgilio, intimidating guy. This guy's twice as big as him. He's monstrous. He's like... 6'8", 300 pounds, just ripped. And he comes out and he's shaking the, the spears and he's ready. He's ready to go to war. And then the other general, Achilles! But he's nowhere to be found. So they send this messenger boy and he rides off and he says, where's Achilles? Gotta find him, gotta find him. So he gets him and of course it's played by Brad Pitt. You know, you can't get any more epic than that. Um, I love it. But they find Brad Pitt and he's asleep and he wakes him up and he says, here's your sword, here's your shield, here's your helmet, let's go. And so as he's getting on the horse, I love the little boy too. He's, it's really pretty cute. I know that's not a manly word, but it's, it's really cute. He says, sir, the man that you are fighting, he's the biggest man I've ever seen. I wouldn't want to fight him. Love it. Brad Pitt, he looks down at him and he says, that's why no one will ever remember your name. It's so epic. It's so epic. And you, you may not see where I'm going with it, but this is where I'm going with it. Is we long to leave a legacy. We long to sow into something that outlasts us. That is that which is eternal. That's why we have these calling. That's why we have a mission. It's bigger than us. And we don't find it satisfying if we don't meet that calling, if we don't meet that eternal. So tonight, that's kind of our foundation. That's where I want to start. 
And where I want to go into is how do we maintain that which is eternal? How do we maintain our mission in Christ? Because I, I got to believe the people that I'm speaking to tonight, I know you've heard the Great Commission at least once before. But what I think we fell at, or at least what I think we come short with from time to time, is maintaining that mission, is maintaining that calling. So that's where we're going to pick it up tonight. I've got three points. We're going to move through them quickly. I know people have places to be tonight. So we'll start with the first one. The first thing I think that we need to do to maintain our calling is this. Our character must match our calling. See, we see it displayed throughout our own lives. We see it in the scripture time and time again. Yeah, sorry, I missed that one, but we'll come back to it. Um, But we see it time and time again. We see people who have a great calling, but they don't have a great character. Because see, what God does is he understands us. He understands us so well. And he takes our calling and he binds it to our character. And see, your calling is innately yours. Nobody can take it away from you. They can't take away your giftings. They can't take away your thumbprints. Those are uniquely yours. So what the devil does is he attacks your character. Because see, if he gets your character, then he gets your calling. And we see it in time and time again. We see it in our politicians. We see it in our presidents, our teachers, our school leaders. We even see it in the scripture. First king of Israel, Saul. Great calling. Horrible character. What happened? David came in, took his place. So you say, well, how do we keep our calling? How do we hold on to it? Well, we have to understand it first. See, Paul says this about a calling, and I love it. He says, as a prisoner for the Lord, this is Ephesians 4.1, then I urge you to live a life worthy of your calling. See, Paul understood it. Paul had this great testimony. If you've ever heard the testimony, you know he had the Damascus road, the light came, it shined, and Paul got it, man. The scales fell off his, his eyes. I mean, it was profound. But see, Paul wasn't defined by his testimony. He was defined by everything after. He knew that his character was wielded to his calling. And if he lost his character, then he lost his calling. And another thing we have to understand is is why does God do that? Why can't we just have everything we ask for? There's so many people that need healing. There's so many broken lives. Why can't we just have it? I just want to be able to pray it into existence. I just want to see somebody and go pray for them and it happen, God. Why? Why? And he says, because I understand you. I understand you better than you understand yourself. So what he does, he puts this checks and balances on us. See, we've all probably heard the scripture. It says, declare a thing and it shall be established. That's powerful. That's how God wants you and I to operate, with that sort of power, with that sort of boldness. But what he does is he ties it to our character and our heart. And see, our heart is the authority of the spoken word. That's what has authority on our word. See, I could sit up here all day and pray for revival, pray for this church to be filled. But if my heart's not in the right place, it won't happen. It won't happen in your lives. See, you can't affect anybody if you don't have the right heart. I love this. Is, this is what uh, John says about the heart. He says, Beloved, if our hearts condemn us not, we have confidence before God, and we can receive from him whatever we ask because we keep his commandments and do what pleases him. Our heart has the authority over the spoken word. Matthew twenty-two fifteen says this, Many are called, but few are chosen. I love that. See, we have to be willing to count the cost. We have to be willing to do what's necessary. See, there's a world of hurt around us. We, we talk about it all the time, and we see it. We see people that are broken. We were there. Truthfully, we were, we were all there. But we have to be willing to step in their shoes, and we have to have the right heart when we do it, because then we can be efficient, and then we can be powerful. My next point is this. I, I love this one. This is one that I got to tell you I do all the time. We make God too small. 
We really do. We put him in a box. We limit him with our expectations. We limit him with our faith. And one thing that I think all of us are guilty to from time to time is we limit him with our perspective. Raise your hand if you've ever been to, to say, like the Grand Canyon, some kind of mountain range. Sometimes, even for, for everybody, it could be something different. It could be as simple as just looking at the stars at night. Or when you're at the beach, just looking at the ocean. But every time we have one of these, you know, natural wonders, we have this type of moment. We step out of our perspective into his perspective and we see the reality of the world that we live in. I'm so small. God is so big. I love it. I remember we went to the the Smoky Mountains um, with my family. It's in Tennessee. It's beautiful. I remember being up on those mountains and just saying, God, God, you are so big. And what is even better about God is this, that that big God that created mountains, that moves mountains, he breathed us into existence. He took us from dust. He breathed life into us. And we have that same power, that same power that rose Jesus Christ from the dead, that same power that overcame sin and death. It flows in you, and it flows in me. It flows in everybody here tonight. And we have to embrace that. We have to embrace the fact that God is large, but he uses us. And we can't limit him by our prayers. We can't limit him by our actions. We just have to say, God, have your way with us because you're that big, and you know what's best for me. So I'm just going to trust in you. I love this. It says in Ephesians 1, 13 and 14, it says, And you also were included in Christ when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation. Having believed, you were marked in him with the seal, the promised Holy Spirit, who is the deposit guaranteeing, guaranteeing our inheritance until the redemption of those who were God's possession to the praise of his glory. You know what all of that means is? Is that God flows through these hands and he flows through your hands and he flows in your body and that we're just vessels. And we're sealed. When we come to Christ, he seals us. He takes us because he loves us and he seals us with that power. I love that. In Genesis, I said this a second ago. It's, it's just kind of a cool verse to put perspective on things. It's up there. Um, in Genesis 2-7, it says, The Lord God formed man from dust and out of the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life. And the man became a living God. See, what I I feel like tonight, and I really do, I feel this very strongly right now. I feel that we lose perspective of who God is, and this is what we start doing. We start running from God. I did it. I always had a reverential fear of God, but I stopped letting him influence any of my decisions. And, And see, what happens is our situations and our circumstances, they can become so bleak that we take our eyes off of God. And so I want to tell you tonight, I want to tell each person tonight, It doesn't matter how old you are, how young you are. I just want to tell you, you can't let God down. It just can't happen. So you can't let God down because you've never been holding him up. That's the perspective. And we have to tell ourselves that. We have to encourage ourselves with the fact that, you know, what I did yesterday and the day before that, it doesn't matter. I need to be moving forward. I need to be about my father's business. I I don't know if, you know, it could just be me, but... I have a tendency at times to put people, call it a platform. I do it with my pastor. I see a man right here that I've had a Bible study with for a couple of years. I just do it. I don't know why I see people that are maybe no more scripture than me. And I, I just assume, I say, you know, they're, they're the professional saint. You know, they're the perfected minister. You know, if people, if, the, if someone's going to get healed, it's going to be them that do it. And I just do that. I put people up on a pedestal. But what God wants us to do is he wants to take people down off of the pedestal 
and put Christ in that spot. And he says, set my eyes on, on Christ. Look to those things that are above. And see, when we take our eyes and we put them in the right direction and we have the right perspective, then we can start doing massive things. Then that's when true revivals take place. When a group of people come together and they say, I love God and I'm just going to put my heart, I'm going to put my soul, I'm going to put my mind, I'm going to put everything I have towards him. And then he moves us and he positions us and he puts us where we need to be to make things happen because he has the great perspective. Uh, my, my last verse um, regarding this, how big God is, I love this. It's, it comes from um, 1 Corinthians 2.9. I, I don't have it up here, but it's, one, it's a good one to remember. It's something to look forward to. It says, no eye has seen, no ear has heard, no mind has conceived what the Lord has in store for those who love him and are called according to his purpose. I love that. That's how great our God is. My last point for tonight, I'll move through it quickly, but I got to tell you, it's the biggest point. If you don't get anything, if it's true, what that professor told me, and you don't get anything, I want you to get this. It's called a call to anguish. There's a certain preacher, and he actually, this is his message to some extent. I've, I've, I tweaked it a little bit, but his name's David Wilkerson. And he's got such an incredible testimony. I mean, the God is just a great man of God. If you, if you knew the things this guy had done, you would say, okay. What am I doing? What am I doing for the Lord? But he has this message, and it's called a call to anguish. And it's so deep, and it's so to the point of how to be an effective Christian. Because what he says is, if you're not anguished, then you can't be effective. If you're not broken, if you're not humbled, then God can't move through you. And he says, to truly impact the world and our community and our friends and our families, we have to be willing to share God's heart. And see, God's heart is completely dynamic. There's so many different things that factor in and factor out. But one of them is just a brokenness. A, a very wise man once told me, ironically, he's here tonight, which kind of adds some pressure to speaking. But a very wise man once told me, he said, you can always tell when God's moving in somebody's heart. You can always tell because there's that brokenness for the lost. They see that. They see my eyes have been opened and I see something that's real now. How do I get everybody else to join the, the party? How do I take the blinds off their eyes? How do I take the shield off their eyes? And I got to tell you, it comes from anguish. Because this is where we make the mistake. This is what I do all the time. I'm so guilty of this one. We replace anguish with concern. We're concerned over things. I'm concerned that my hairline's starting to recede a little bit. I'm telling you, I was talking with Ryan about this the other day. And he said, bud, don't worry. I'll pay for it. We'll go to Bosley. We're gonna get it. We're gonna get it looking good. All right, he said. I won't. I said. But I'm getting married in a couple months. Do you think it'll fall out that quick? No, you're gonna be all right. I'm concerned when I make a bad test grade, uh, and my mom's concerned too. But uh, that's another matter. Um, but truly, the difference is I'm not deeply wounded. I'm not anguished. So you have to be anguished. You have to be deeply wounded to be effective for the Lord. I love what A. W. Tozer said. He's a great man of God extremely wise. He said, before God can use a man greatly, he must wound him deeply. I love that. And when I think of anguish, I think of, of one story in particular. It's from Luke. You can go ahead and pitch that up for me. I, you're amazing, by the way. I love that guy. It's in Luke 22, 42. I want everybody to read this with me because this is at the heart of who Jesus Christ is. This is Jesus. He's in the Garden of Gethsemane. He's broken. He knows what's about to be done. He knows that he's about to bear all of our sins on the cross. 
And this is his prayer, and this is what he says. He says, saying, Father, if thou be willing, remove this cup from me. I love that. See, Jesus wasn't just so big that he couldn't relate. He knew what it was. He knew what he was bearing. And he's saying, if I don't have to do it, let me know. Let me know if there's any way that this can be accomplished without me hanging on this cross. I'll do it. Help me out, God. I'm hurting right now. But I love this. This is, this is you know, where we should set our eyes. This, these next seven words. Nevertheless, not my will, but thine be done. I love it. It's so at the nature of what Christians should be. It's who we should reflect in every aspect of our life. And he said this, it said, And there appeared an angel unto him from heaven, strengthening him. And being in agony, he prayed more earnestly. And his sweat, as it were, were great drops of blood falling down to the ground. That is anguish. That is a deep concern. That is a brokenness for the world. And you say, well, hey, that's, that's Jesus, Trent. I don't, I don't know if I could do that. I'm going to be honest. I mean, he's Jesus. I'm me. I don't know. Sweat and blood, tears. I mean, that sounds like some big things. I don't know if that could really happen. It's really funny because he's actually here tonight. I have this story about my friend, and if I mess it up, you correct me, all right? But it's about one of my good friends, and I heard this, and I said, God, that's just so good, so I'm going to share it with you. My friend had always been a Christian, but it came at a place in his life where the maturity started to match up with I've always been a Christian. And so we got on fire for God. That's a term we use a lot. We say, God, I'm on fire for you. And one night, he was just submitting. He was praying that prayer. God, just use me. Just let me be used for your will. And the Holy Spirit came upon him so strong that it travailed through him. And that's not a term that you hear a lot. You see, the travail is not a scriptural term, but it is a real term. And it means that the Holy Spirit flows through us. And through us, we intercede for the will of God. And so he was there, he was just praying, and then he just began to weep. And complete anguish came over him, complete brokenness came over him. And he was praying so hard, didn't know what he was praying about, just need, knew that somebody somewhere needed the Holy Spirit and they needed the power of God in their life. And he was praying so hard that the capillaries underneath his eyes, they busted. And he began to pray with tears of blood going down his face. I love that story. That's where we have to be. See, the problem is at times we'll come up to the altar and it hurts. If you've ever been to the altar, I have, and it hurts. It doesn't feel good. And then we'll leave. And when we need to go back, we don't. We say, God, I've already been down there before. You've already broken me before. I'm a Christian now. You mean I have to be broken again? You mean I have to be deeply concerned again? I have to be anguished? That doesn't feel good. So we stop coming. We stop letting the Holy Spirit flow through us. And we stop letting him use us. The last story I'll give you tonight is, is out of this book, and it's one that I've heard it shared several times, but it's one of those that are just so good that it doesn't hurt that I'm going to tell it to you again. The author of this book, Rick Warren, his father was a pastor, Jimmy Warren. And when Jimmy was dying, he was on his deathbed. He was at the hospital, and his family was with him. And he was laying in that bed. He started to stir. He started to move around. And they said, Jimmy, what are you doing? You, you can't move around. You're in a hospital. We've got you hooked up to IVs. We've got you hooked up to all sorts of things. What are you doing? And he starts climbing out of bed, ripping the uh, cardiac monitors off of him, doing everything. And they're saying, what's going on? And he keeps saying, I've got to get one more. I've got to get one more. 
I said, Dad, Dad, no, you don't understand. You're in the hospital. You're very, very sick. You can't move right now. I got to get one more. I got to get one more for Jesus. I love that story. That should be our mindset every time. That should be our mindset every day. I've got to get one more for Jesus because he paid the ultimate sacrifice for us. He did everything for us. I heard David Shively one time, incredibly wise man. He's, he's been here and spoke a couple of times. I heard him say this. He said that regarding the Great Commission, regarding the calling on our life, that Jesus Christ is the down payment. All we have to do is just collect it. It's that simple. So tonight, I'm going to call the worship team. Y'all can go ahead and come back up, guys, if y'all want to. Y'all got another song? Y'all good? Yeah, y'all can wing it. Y'all are that talented. We're going to take a little bit. We've got a little bit of time. I, I did. I tried. Hopefully, I didn't go too quick, but I wanted to rush through because I wanted some time for some application. I wanted some time for us to pray. I wanted some time for us to embrace the will and the calling of God on our lives. So what we're going to do is, I think they've got one more song. We're going to dim the lights down really low, and we're just going to have some personal time with God. We're just going to spend a little bit of time in his presence, in his glory, and we're just going to let him speak to us. So if you would, if you'll stand with me, don't be, you don't have to stay in your seats. You can move around. This is a big building. We can fill it up. You can walk around. You can do whatever you want. But I just want to talk to you just a little bit longer, and I want to ask you, I want to pray with you, let our hearts reflect the will of our Father. Let our hearts be broken for people tonight. I don't want to leave this place, and I don't think you do either. I don't want to leave this place unchanged. Worship's been good. I, hopefully the message hasn't been bad, but I want something real tonight. I want to take a, something that's tangible back to those around me. I want to be moved. Father God, we come before you tonight. God, we just love you, Father. God, we ask that these things that we've discussed, God, that you would place them deep inside our hearts, God.